GM Legendary. GM, GM. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing. We're sitting here. It's the start of the week. We're recording the first episode of our podcast. I'm excited. Me too, man. Um, first episode uh, the, of our weekly installment of all things NFTs. Uh, it's been a pretty, pretty exciting journey to get here. We didn't really know each other very well not too long ago, but now, um, now we do. What's the story? Yeah, we both have been like in the Pixel Vault Discord and the Founder Star. What for what it feels like years, ages, really <laughs> long from, time yeah. from the very very beginning, basically. And we probably had a couple of interactions, exchanged you know a couple of uh, uh, lines and conversations, but nothing going too in depth. And it wasn't until uh, NFC Lisbon happened, and uh, there was a Pixel Vault meetup set up by MetaPunk. So big shout out to you! Thank you for setting that up. And we both were a bit early to the city in Lisbon, decided, you know, to meet up on the weekend, have a spontaneous coffee. And I didn't know what to expect. It was my first NFT event. It was the first time meeting someone from the Pixel Vault community. And I was like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to go with the flow, basically. And we met up and spent like, what, five, six hours together chatting about everything from, you know, NFTs, crypto, philosophy, society, and it, it clicked and we did the same over and over for the next couple of days. And I think this is how the idea was born to turn our kind of casual but in-depth conversations into a more, you know, serious format and into this weekly installment of a podcast and doing the first episode right now. Yeah, it was very strange, wasn't it? Like I, I was in a similar position. That I didn't really know what to expect. It was also my first uh, NFT conference. And yeah, we had, we had spoken a little bit beforehand, but not in depth necessarily. And it was quite weird how similar we are. Like our backgrounds in a variety of ways, uh, are pretty similar, like Absolutely, yeah. similar sort of personal background, similar professional background, similar in age, similar in, we quit our jobs at the same time. <laughs> like it seemed like Indeed there was so many, did, yeah. <laughs> so many things. Congratulations on that by the way, obviously. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, like it just seemed like so many things we were intrinsically similar, but then also like our perspectives on things seemed to sort of align as well. And so I was super happy and it just seemed to make sense to, to, to put this content out there, I think. Yeah, it was fascinating to meet someone with uh, such a similar backstory and, you know, who basically... Um, Joined, joined the space at, I think, pretty much the same time that I did, but still took a different route, you know, each of us focusing on, on different aspects of NFT land, so to say, um, with nevertheless similar outcomes and also similar beliefs, I think. And it was interesting to hear your side of the story and, you know, to connect on that level. So let's, let's do a little bit of introductions for the people who don't uh, no use as much. Um, so how did you get into the NFT space specifically? Cause obviously maybe crypto you've been in for a bit longer, but what's really brought us together. And the reason why we're here is to discuss NFTs in particular. So what's your, what's your journey there? Absolutely. So I got into the NFT space like two and a half years ago. And actually the first NFTs that I purchased or that I collected, um, was Gods Unchained, the digital trading card game, blockchain based, obviously. And <clears throat> it made, it made total sense for me. Like, uh, as a kid, I loved collecting trading cards. I loved collecting Pokemon cards, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic. And, you know, as, as time went by that, you know, collecting turned into a bit of a side hustle, turned a bit into flipping cards and, Man, flipping cards is quite quite the process. There's like so many things that you have to keep in mind, right? You have to make sure that you understand the current meta game um, of well the respective card game that you're trying to flip to see what cards people need, what what they're playing, what they collect for well collectible value, obviously. And then you have to package it uh, when you found someone to buy it. You have to make sure that you give a fair evaluation of the card. Is it really gem? Is it a nine? Is it an eight out of ten? Um, make sure the packaging is done, you know, perfectly that it arrives in the very same condition that you, uh, sent the card originally. 
And it, it is quite an intense process. And, you know, at the time I also was playing Hearthstone being a digital. So was this, um, was this, was this real life cards? Yeah. Real life, real life Pokemon cards, you know? Uh, okay. Yeah. And then the, the, the second step was, you know, playing a digital card game by Blizzard, playing Hearthstone. And I was like, yeah, it's quite cool to collect this because you, you know, it's such an easy process to collect, well, cards digitally on your, uh, phone, but I was, you know, I was like, man, it would be so exciting if I were able to trade those cards and, you know, sell them or trade for other cards that I'm missing. And when I saw Gods Unchained, it clicked for me. It made sense. It was like, it's making managing my collection way much easier. It's making trading. It facilitates trading. It facilitates um, selling. You also don't have to run to the, you know, post office like three times a day to um, ship your cards. And... You don't have discussions about, is it really gem mint? How's the condition of the card? And it, it was a fascinating thought at first to see, okay, it's something digital, but it can be made unique um, via it being an NFT, right? And Definitely. at the time, I was also doing, yeah, quite a lot of uh, landscape, nature photography, and I was selling prints. You know, it was a side hustle because actually my background is in investment banking and management consulting. But I always had this this artsy side, so to say. And I was like, okay, fascinating thought. Now I can use my digital photography, turn it into a unique NFT and sell that and don't be bothered with, you know, thinking about how many prints, how big is uh, the series of this specific photograph going to be? Uh, because, it, you know, before that, it was like impossible to be like, I'm selling you this photograph and this photography and, and I'm going to say this is unique. And... Yeah, when I, I had my first experiences with Gods Unchained, I got like pretty, pretty hooked, pretty addicted, started, you know, creating my own artwork, started collecting more and more and more, amassed like a couple of thousand NFTs and got to a point where I was like, okay, the, the opportunity cost of like doing anything else is way too high. So I have to focus on that and I have to do it full time. What about you? How did yeah, you get so into you, the space? You mentioned a lot there. Like there's so much. Uh, so many yeah. important bits of information in that, like the authenticity element of the blockchain stuff makes it so valuable. The ease of commerce, like cutting out the post office, like the thought now exactly. of going to the post office ever, like people already do that with real items, right? Like they don't want to go, if you want to return clothes, you don't go to the shop anymore to return them. You put it in the box, in the box that it came in or in a bag and someone picks it up from you or it's, you know, yeah, every, yeah. Every, we're in a convenience culture. And that really, really makes sense. So obviously all of that clicked for you very, very quickly. Just another thing I just was thinking as you were speaking, something that I've noticed amongst people who have been here for a year or more is that it seems to be the case that we're never really satisfied with things in that like mm -hmm. you were a management consultant, you were also doing photography, you're also trading these cards, you're like also... Yeah then branching off into the blockchain and like doing other stuff like this is hard work right like how were you managing to balance all of those things back at that time it, it was pretty difficult i mean i'm not gonna lie it was you know it was quite Im impossible at the in the beginning to balance that all out perfectly um and you have to compromise and i was compromising on sleep massively and i mean also, it was at the same time that the that the pandemic hit and everyone was staying at home, self-isolating, and at least, you know, all these potential distractions were gone and I was able to, you know, spend the night, spend the evenings learning and educating myself on, well, NFTs, on blockchain tech. I've been, as you said, I've been into crypto before, I um, but I didn't like, you know, to be honest, didn't care too much about it. I was like invested. I got the basic concept of what blockchain is, but I didn't get like into the nitty gritty of it all. And so I, I was able to use like, you know, the first one year of my journey to really learn quite a lot. And of course, still learning every day. But the thing is, and this was, you know, basically the luck that I was having being so early, you, you could have a pretty good view on the space in the early days, like you were able to check Twitter, to check your discord channels and, you know, be able to stay on track with, with what happens on a daily basis, which is like literally impossible right now. And yeah. it, and, and all of the challenge like shifted in the beginning, it was okay. 
learn everything that you can, stay on uh, on top of everything that's going on in the space because it's still small. You can have a good look um, at all the projects and at all the new platforms, etc. And now there's like a plethora of information, new projects, new platforms, new um, decentralized finance protocols. And just filtering out, you know, what information is important and what information is not and getting the sources that are the right uh, sources information for whatever you try to achieve in the space has, at least for me, become like the number one challenge. Yeah, I think that's really, that's a really, really good point. Information, even in general, like not just in this space, but we're definitely in some sort of information age where getting the right information is exceptionally important. And I guess that's in some ways what we're trying to do with this podcast, where we discuss things which we think important. And more broadly, 32 Dreams, the company which I've just launched, is intending on cutting up bits of information from the various locations on the internet and deep in Twitter, deep in Discord, uh, putting together information about different artists and putting it in a place that is easily digestible from a reputable source i think there's a huge huge uh market for that because people are overwhelmed absolutely and i feel like it's you know different in terms because you said we we are living in a digital age of information and typically there's like the self-confirmation bias you know you have your view on things your world view you spend your time in your jobs or whatever and um, you look at the social media posts and follow the channels that you're following and you get more of the same information. So you really build your own bubble. And of course, there's like this danger in, in NFT land as well, because, you know, we are sometimes it feels like a bit of an echo chamber. Sometimes it feels like we're just building inside our own bubble. But I think the good side and also the challenge is that there's like not really a centralized um, way of information. Like most of the things do happen on, on Discord and get to Twitter with a bit of a lag and Twitter might be a bit of the centralized information hub, but still information is spread out across all those different communities. And, you know, when my friends or people that I know, um, and we talk about NFTs and crypto and they ask me, I want to get into this space. Where do I start learning? This, this is difficult to answer. I'm like, First thing you need to do is get a Twitter account and follow like, I know, these 50 or 100 people and just keep scrolling through uh, through your Twitter feed and you're going to get like good substacks, newsletters, blog recommendation, Discord invites. But it's not like start reading this, then that, then that, and you have a good grasp of what's going on. It's really hard, isn't it? I wrote, I wrote a thread once of like how to begin in NFTs and it was like a 25 tweet thread with like, hundreds of people tagged and trying to categorize them into like, okay, here are some well-known collectors who it's worth following. Here are some well-known builders who are worth following. Here are some well-known traders who you should be aware of what they're doing. But also it's difficult to categorize people because everyone's sort of doing everything. Like yeah, everyone's yeah. trading, everyone's building, everyone's collecting, but then, you know, you'll also be selling. So yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing. And that was actually the, thesis behind my substack which is like let's create an nft curriculum where like look it's anyone who wants to be like okay i want to enter the space i've no idea where to start let's create like article after article each week exploring some basic element at a basic level and then yes you still have to do the twitter thing you really do have to do that um but you know just to get some foundational knowledge um, that was my premise for starting that thing. So just to go back, so to, to give for some context, you said you started with Gods Unchained two and a half years ago. So what's that? It's like 20... January 2020, I think it was. 2020. So what else was around back then? Like what other NFTs were... Like what, what did people think was good back then? I mean... Of course, there was there was art out there. CryptoPunks obviously existed back then. I, I saw them. I didn't understand them at first. I was like, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm gonna gonna get into it. Um, and I was, you know, pretty lonely in my gaming echo chamber, and really focusing on um, really focusing on Gods Unchained. And I was like, okay, 
are there any other games out there? Is there like anything comparable to that? And one of the first other projects that I found was Axie Infinity, who obviously have been around way longer than that, but it was just the time that I discovered them. And um, also like a similar concept of, you know, you collect heroes, you collect your axes, you can use them to breed them, to battle them. Um, and there's the land game gameplay. And this was, I think, pretty much the second massive project that I got into. And, and this was in, in summer 2020. Then also like, you know, new platforms started, Rarible started back at the time. This was completely crazy because as you said, like we have so many hybrid roles. We have, you know, artists who are also collectors. We have builders who also create, who trade. And I feel like when Rarible launched and, you know, they had the weekly uh, token airdrop that you could farm in a similar way that you can do it right now on, or the, yeah, they can do it right now on Luxrare. People just went crazy creating NFTs on Rarible and wash trading and flipping. And it was, it was interesting to see like how everyone was, you know, exploring that new platform and just trying to maximize their weekly earnings. And it was the first time that I felt like this, this NFT craze. But also going back to what you just said before in terms of, you know, um, the, the, the hybrid roles in the space. I feel like this is an ongoing discussion on Twitter because there's like one side of the argument, people saying you should be like one thing only. If you're an artist, you're an artist. If you trade, you trade. If you build, you build. And there's the, the other side of the argument. If you're a builder, it is essential that you're also like invested in other projects, trade a bit, that you have, you know, a better understanding of the whole ecosystem because it's like still so early and innovative and we see projects do, doing new stuff and coming up with, you know, new methods of NFT staking. Uh, we, we see Moonbirds with the nesting idea where, you know, the Moonbird stays inside your wallet. And if you just keep building isolated and don't have like any uh, insight into these other projects, you might miss out on cool ideas um, for your own thing. So in my personal opinion, I always like these hybrid roles, but it's also like just me being me because I never was, you know, happy just doing one thing at once. And I always love doing multiple things at once. Um, and I, I, I think, yes, uh, the danger is there that you get sidetracked, but it's also like important to, you know, have a bit of a grasp of what's going on outside of the own project that you're building. What's your thought on that? Are you rather on, you know, focus on one thing or um, explore and, and branch out a bit? I agree with you. I think uh, just like I've noticed that the most successful people uh, in this space are intensely curious people and unendingly curious. Like it, there, there doesn't seem to be an amount of knowledge or development or tech that can happen or move forward. And then then be like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm done. Like I just, I just want to do this now. Like this space keeps moving so forward so quickly that, I think it's very much a necessary element of the success here to, to be willing to be in constant, uh, not ignorance, but to, to be, to be willing to be constantly learning and constantly applying to different things, trying out different things. And I think those are the people who are most successful. And I also think that, you know, because I was talking to quite a lot of artists recently and especially in Lisbon and, you know, there was also this discussion. If I look at too many other artists work, I get, you know, sidetracked. I get overwhelmed, but what, what's going on? But on the other hand, there was also the point that, um, NFTs and are just way, way more than a digital canvas. They're way more powerful. And there's like so many things that you can do with your art on a smart contract level. If you look at the things that um, Park does or that Park do, um, and this is like, you know, really exploring a new medium of art. And, you know, I don't think that art per se needs to have utility, but this is like a completely different discussion. But I, I feel like um, it with with the whole NFT space still being so, so early and the technology, you know, advancing on a daily level, and there's like so many, um, so much room left for exploration. It would be just feeling like, like missing out if you were just isolated, um, on your own, in your own project and building well on your own and without having a look at the broader space. 
Yeah, I completely agree. So it sounds like, because you mentioned the art there, but you, I mean, it sounds like you've done a whole variety of things, but one of the things that struck me that you were particularly strong on was this like gaming focus from quite the beginning. And I know now you're doing more stuff with Wolf Game, but maybe we can discuss that another time. For for me, what got me in was actually, I, I came in art-wise at this early point mm-hmm. in last year, uh, I'd always liked normal art. I went to galleries, like looking around. I think it's a nice way to spend a day, quite a peaceful way to spend a day, just walk around, look at some paintings. Um, and then, so I was very intrigued when I heard, okay, there's this digital, digital art stuff going on. And my first two pieces that I bought were an X copy afterburn and it's a very good Jones. first piece. Bitcoin angel. Yeah. Like I did my research. I like, I did the, I, I, I did, I did what I recommend people to do, like go on Twitter, mm-hmm. research for ages, like write a list of the people that you think are good, whether it's a project, like a collectible NFT project or artists, if you like art, like make a list, do the research, go on super Air, see how, what they've sold. I've written articles on my research process. Um, so yeah, I bought those two and the prices went crazy. Obviously didn't sell anything because I didn't know what was going on. But it it made me realize that something at least was going on and I had to dig in deeper. And then that's when I joined the Punks, uh, the Pixel Vault ecosystem and the Punks comic issue one was the first NFT that I minted using kind of MetaMask outside of a non-custodial, outside of a custodial option. Um and then, yeah, it just went from there, like work, trading a little bit, buying a little bit more and still enjoying the art. But then, yeah, getting a bit caught up in the trading last summer. Last summer was particularly crazy for the trading, wasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, it was so intense. And, and at some point, I think you realize, well, at least I realized you can't, like this trading thing isn't going to last forever and we're already seeing that like there was a point in time last summer where you could mint anything and it was just going up straight away um and that's not sustainable because there simply aren't enough quality projects and maybe there isn't wasn't even enough demand at the time for that amount of quality projects um so what i thought was like okay look let's try to lean into what my skills are what my background is i was a commercial lawyer and an english teacher before that so let's produce quality content on around whether it's marketing uh, or just important information that projects want to get out there or even for artists. And let's do that. So I started writing for different projects. I wrote for, I wrote the frequently asked questions for Pixel Vault um, just because I was hanging out in the Discord and it was something that the community, community needed. So that was, would be one of my main recommendations for people who want to get involved. It's like literally everyone needs help. Every single project that you like probably needs help somewhere, but you'll probably need to do that first bit for free. Like you just do it. And if you do it well, then you can tell other people, oh, look, I did that thing for free. And that's exactly how it worked for me. I did that for free. Then I yeah, managed yeah. to tell someone else, oh, I did that for free. Look how it looks. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, then I worked for Are Weave listening to podcasts which was super interesting. And then I wrote threads for them, summarizing their podcasts. It's like, great, I'm getting paid now to listen to podcasts, learn, and just write a thread. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing. I'm getting paid to learn. This is like the opposite of university where you have to pay to learn. Um, Indeed, yeah. Very similar to you, it got to the point at the end of last summer, which I think is when we both quit our jobs, roughly. It, It got to the point where... I had enough conviction in this space to think the opportunity cost of doing my job is just too great. It's not being in this space is going to be way worse than doing my job and like dabbling in this space by like, I don't know, investing every now and again or in your, in your breaks or over your lunch break or whatever. Like I had to go all in, in that respect. And yeah, I think we just got to that point in time where it was important to make that jump. And especially seeing like how fast the space moving, how, yeah, how fast the space is moving. Like you cannot watch from the sidelines and um, you, you miss out on way, way too much stuff uh, that is going on. 
And I don't, I'm not even talking about, you know, like FOMOing into projects that, you know, are just randomly minting, but still it's just, you know, this, um, massive amount of information, the difficulty of getting uh, on top of it, of staying informed. And I feel like that's impossible to do, um, from, from the sideline if you want to, well, do it as your main business with, or main source of income or whatever. Um, so I know, but you said I something. Know... Sorry, go. Yeah, you said you said something quite interesting. You said you know you were interested in art. You loved going to galleries. It made perfect sense that the first NFTs that you purchased were X copied Trevor Jones, so that you got into digital art. But how was the transition from you know digital art into basically what is a collectible gaming project that um, Pixel Vault and the Meta Hero ecosystem is? I didn't find it too difficult because mm -hmm. uh, I was initially hooked by the burn, the, the game theory that they, that they created. Yeah. So I understood that at a minimum, uh, the, the way that they set up the mint dynamic was like, okay, you mint this one thing. And then at, at a future point in time, you have a decision to make. You either go and burn this token for a founder's DAO or you stake it for some tokens. I was like, okay, this is cool. It's interesting. It's also backed by real assets, which is something that other people weren't necessarily doing. Now, putting the legality aside, I don't know what tests it either meets or fails or anything of that nature, but it's definitely cool. It was definitely innovative. And that's what sort of hooked me. Like I, I didn't really see it as a comparison to the art in any way. It was just like, this is a cool project they're trying to do something interesting um let's let's get involved that was yeah, my thinking okay. on that one it was very much very much the same for me like i am fascinated by game theory and i i feel like pixel vault introduced that in a very sensible way by just starting with uh you know burning or keeping your token choice and obviously the ecosystem got way more complex over time because i if you started with a project and you're going like full on on game theory, it's going to be difficult that you build a community that understands what you're doing and, or it's not going to be difficult. It's just going to take more time. I feel like, you know, Huxley also being a, a comic project, uh, and they, they started with a more complex burning logic, um, in the beginning where basically had to form Genesis blocks that, um, consist of five comics, two of which you would burn. You could get a Genesis token for them, which you could redeem um, well, at, at, at a certain point in time for a PFP for a robot, or you could keep them and redeem them later. And it was getting so complex that the community just built a flow chart to, you know, understand what the best choice is and what route you should be going down with uh, the tokens that you collected. And I feel like um, the project was a sleeper for quite a long time. Uh, and in my opinion, it was like, you know, due to the initial complexity that people were like, just, this is just, this is too much for me. I'm either not getting in or I'm just going to take more time until I understand the ecosystem. And this was cool to see about Pixel Vault that they, you know, started, um, with one small element of game theory and have been stepping it up from there. Yeah. It's an interesting point because. Although you say it's like a, a small element of game theory, I remember at the time specifically that still being too much for people. Like the amount yeah, of questions yeah, yeah. about, you know, oh, what do what do you get if you stake again, or what does this represent? And and it shows then what incredible opportunity is available in the space, not just with Pixel Vault, not just with Huxley, but in principle. There could be all sorts of projects that are being built by people who are trying to do interesting things, but are just going under the radar because, yeah, they're too complicated or the, the value proposition hasn't been communicated well enough. Because from a, from a communicator's standpoint, my thinking for all of these projects is that the project should take responsibility. If your community doesn't understand, uh, the value proposition of your project, my standing, my position is always, well, don't blame the community. You should blame yourselves because you haven't communicated it in a way that is good. Like when I used to be a teacher, if my kids didn't learn, mm -hmm. it was never the kid's fault. 
because if you start blaming the kids, it's a dangerous road, right? Like if they're learning in yeah. someone else's class and they're not, and they're not learning in mine, then I can't blame the kid because they're doing something right in the other class. So I think the best starting position is always to take as much responsibility as possible and, and projects aren't necessarily, because I think communication is one of the last things that projects think about. They've got so much, so much on their plate. And so much to think about in terms of marketing, the actual project dynamics. Sometimes that final element of communicating with your communities is not necessarily done in, in the best way possible. Yeah, that, that is true. And, and that takes a lot of time, you know, with everything being so new. And I remember Pixel Vault specifically when they introduced the meta heroes and, you know, they made the big point about the meta heroes being generated at mint and not being a pre-generated set of collectibles and people and me included, you know, I was like, okay, what's, what's the big difference? You know, at, after all, I'm just going to get a randomized meta hero. It's going to either be a, you know, more common or a super rare one, but what is the big difference? And I remember them taking like, you know, weeks or maybe even one to two months to explain the process, to explain the complexity of why it actually makes a difference if it is generated at mint, of why it makes the smart contract so difficult, of why there's like no, you know, going back or no, oh, let's generate another set of 10K heroes and see if it's a, you know, a better match and that you have to absolutely execute flawlessly and able to be uh, able to do a mint in that way and that this can be a sign of quality. And, you know, if you think that as a community or as a builder that something is your USP, it is your unique selling proposition, it is your job, as you just said, to educate the community about that and explain what makes it special, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's just a huge market for that. And, and in a way, I hope that's what we're able to build here. Like as, as we have our conversations about the variety of things that happen each week, or maybe even more regularly, if we do this more regularly, like we're able to distill and analyze and condense the complicated sets of, uh, information in a way that is easily understandable for people um so that would be my my hope for what we're we're trying to do absolutely and especially i think that's quite interesting you know with with our backgrounds yours obviously tying into well the the legal framework and of you know many many projects who have to face those difficult questions what they're assets actually are that people or the community can stake from a legal standpoint and how they navigate those challenges. And, you know, me coming from the, from the consulting background, really trying to look at a project just as I would look at a client's company and trying to understand it as a, you know, in a, in a holistic kind of way. And I think it's interesting to, well, tie this professional experience into looking, looking at NFT projects, right? Because as you said, communication seems to be like one of the last things that people think about. And I, I get it. I mean, it's like a lot of work to build, you know, from, from scratch and, um, build a community, build a smart contract, have a cool project idea, have cool mechanics going on, have interesting art to look at. And that's, that's, that's quite a lot to do. And I think we see it with a lot of projects that people are, you know, surprised when mint is happening. Um, at the initial time that the wind was announced to happen, it's not not getting postponed because um, I think it, it is easy to underestimate like how much is going on behind the scenes when a project is created and why that obviously can lead to, you know, minting or announcements being postponed on the one hand. And on the other hand, how impressive it seems, you know, if your project stands out because you are delivering on time and your project management is is working and you're navigating through all of these challenges yeah definitely sometimes it feels like the expectations are so incredibly low in this space that it all it takes would be like oh you you run an in real life event competently okay so your floor should be like 10 ETH more now because you've just managed to like get people in a room you've booked a hall yeah, yeah. you've done certain things like you provided food and drinks like well done you're you're amazing um 
because yeah as you say like there's all sorts of stuff going on and also some pretty inexperienced uh teams around also various nefarious actors in space uh creating projects which have no intention of building out properly um so yeah it is a bit of a minefield in that respect but i think so we've spoken for half an hour or so on our general backgrounds no doubt in future episodes we'll come back to various parts of our previous experiences but just to turn now to the most recent topic of the weekend which was the moonbirds uh what did you think about this project leading up to it what did you think about it as it happened what do you think about it now yeah that's obviously you know the the big nft elephant in the room are the moon birds um i i got on the whitelist raffle um i was oh, aware you? of the mint um and about you know the i yeah but, you know no I, I i took part in the raffle but i didn't win a slot i think it was oh, like um 30,000 people who you know applied um for for the whitelist and I remember it was like quite an intense dis discussion on Twitter because, you know, mint price obviously being 2.5 ETH and with pre-mint, you're needing to have that in your wallet. Um, and, you know, mint prices that high um, are, are very difficult, um, well, difficult terrain to, to navigate. You know, you had Pixelmon uh, a couple of weeks ago that did the Dutch auction starting at 3 ETH and it didn't turn out too well. I mean, they did raise 70 mil, but the project behind that wasn't as great as people expected it to be. And, you know, with, with Moonbirds, um, there wasn't like this kind of extreme negativity in, in the discussion because, you know, people kept referencing that the team is amazing. They have built a track record and yes, they're going to raise, um, what was it? 50 to 70 mil, something in that range, right? Um, if, if they sell out. Um, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see and watch them build. And so I didn't get, uh, I didn't get a Moonbird at Mint. Then I was, you know, watching the floor bit, seeing it hovering at six to seven ETH. Um, and quite a lot of Moonbirds listed in the beginning. And I was like, yeah, I'm probably going to wait it out and see if it goes down a bit. And then by again, yeah, it went as and obviously as that didn't happen. Listed. And now. Yeah, yeah. And now we're looking like at a pretty interesting situation where we have like a trading volume in two and a half days. That's around 200 mil in US dollars. We are looking at 6.7, 6.8K ish unique owners out of 10K, which is pretty good. And this is like one of the stats that I love looking at how many unique owners there are in a, in a project. Um, and, and just, absolutely insane trading volume like i still want you know i want to have my own moonbird but i'm not gonna ape into right now but i'm also not sure if i'm not gonna regret that um later <laughs> but i feel like i wanted to wait a bit to see if there's gonna be like another massive project like you know the metaverse land sale from the board apes that's certainly gonna suck out a bit of liquidity out of the market and see if that will help floor prices to come down a bit because people are gonna be focusing on the next big thing. And this could be a good opportunity to, you know, potentially get into it at a better price point. Or of course it just could um keep going up and up from there. And you know, me in hindsight listening to to the first episode of our podcast, be like, yeah, I should have bought in. It's super difficult to tell. Um, I mean, it's always difficult to tell, but I feel like this is particularly challenging in this case, seeing like this insane amount of trading volume, absolutely insane amount of trading volume. Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts point. and knowing that you have a moon bird? <laughs> yeah. So I think there's a couple of points there. First thing I'd say is like the reason I ask your opinion on it is because I think you probably someone who's, who. I think he's done very well from the various NFT trading stuff. You've definitely been doing it longer than me. Um, and I think you've, you've done very mm -hmm. well from it. And, but even though, you know, you're, you've got that experience, you're still like, I don't know. I, I ultimately do not know where it's going to go. Neither do I. So I think the first thing says like, the main point is no one really knows what they're doing. Like we're, 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 we're making these calls 
based on the best evaluation that we can do. We're, we've all got the same OpenSea page. We're all looking at the activity. We're all looking at the unique holders. We're looking at the floor price. We're going in discords. We're having our conversations. We're doing our research on the team. But ultimately, like we really don't know. So uh, as you can tell, like one of us, Legendary, hasn't got one. I did get one. Uh, we're running different strategies at the moment. But yeah, so that's the first thing I just want to get out there. It's obviously not financial advice. I need to put the disclaimer in here somewhere. But the my thinking was, my thinking was, I thought it was weird that people were fudding it in the same way that they were fudding other things. Like people might have said like, oh, you know, when Mechaverse launched with insane hype, mm -hmm. yeah. it crashed. Or when Hape Beast launched with insane hype, it then crashed. Because those things were getting 10 ETH sales out of the gate as well. And then people were like, oh, this is the same thing. And to me, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but I just I didn't think that that was a proper comparison and I do think comparison is very important when you're when you're trying to make these statements. It's not a proper comparison because the team, like people aren't people, people were buying into this team. Like as far as I could tell, Kevin Rose, Ryan Carson, and I think it's Justin, someone I don't know the other person's name, but these people are like very, very, very well established. Not just well established in this space because of what they've done with Proof, but established pre-Web3 in Web2, building really, really successful things. Also exceptionally well connected mm -hmm. with people, which could be evidenced by what what they managed to pull off with the Grails uh, offering for the proof holders, yeah. which was, if people don't know, the Grails were uh, a selection of NFTs done by unknown art. Well, they knew who the artists were, but the uh, proof holders didn't know who they were. So that was like a really cool offering to provide their holders and they got really really great people and i expect one and this is me guessing i expect one of the reasons why this volume has been so crazy is because this might be money coming from other sources other than the kind of traditional web3 crowd it might be the case that you know, all some other Web2 people sitting on the sidelines have thought, okay, well, this is Kevin Rose. So now that this NFT thing is clearly a thing, given what's happened in the last year, if I'm going to put money into this thing, well, I'm going to go with him because I know him from how, how many years? Like loads and loads of years of demonstrable success in all sorts of avenues. So I didn't think that the comparison was apt and I kind of watched the numbers yeah. when it went to 2000 listed and then it kind of went down a bit. And I thought, I thought it was going to move up, but I definitely wasn't, wasn't, wasn't sure. So I took a bit of a risk. I wanted to buy another one as well, but it, the price got away from me. Mm -hmm. I'd thrown a few bids out there. Um, but yeah, I'm very happy to see, to see what happens now. I'm, I'm quietly confident on it, but. You know, you never know in this space. Yeah, and, and you're making a couple of very important points. Like, first of all, you never know, right? You, whatever track record you might have with with previous projects, you never know. Um, you never know what the team's gonna do. You never know how the community's gonna react. So, if if you invested in something, always, of course, make sure that you you're just fine with it going to zero, right? That it could potentially always go to zero. Another thing that you said is, you know, you, you're betting on the team. And I feel like this is a very important part to think about is what is your investment thesis, right? Are you investing in art because it is one of the first artists in the space, one of the, the OG artists like XCopy that everyone's talking about? Are you investing in a collectible project because you think um, that they're, I know, their game theory is so fascinating that that alone will be able to build a very engaged community or are you investing in a team. And I feel like, you know, investing in a team is certainly very interesting in this space because like there's a lot of teams that, you know, um, love to stay anonymously. And this is like a fully docs team with a massive, massive track record in real life, in the quote unquote real world. And they have a lot at stake, you know, they have a lot to lose if they 
don't deliver. And um, this is, you know, one of the things why I, I like Docs teams because um, they have a different stake when they build than a project that is full of anonymous people. And this is not me saying that all NM projects are to be avoided, but it's just something that I like to keep in mind and consider. Yeah, it's just a factor, isn't it? Like, it's not it's not saying that one thing mm -hmm. necessarily equals guaranteed success, but it's just like, okay, that's another factor. I think another factor on top of what you just said is that, yes, they're already successful, but on top of that, they've said stuff like, that. you know, they're not looking, all of this money, the crazy, crazy amounts of money that it's it's raised is just going to be used to to furnish the ecosystem. Like it's going to be reinvested in whatever way possible to provide value almost because they essentially don't need the money. Like they've already done very well in, in life. And and again, this is not a guarantee, but you could see a scenario where, okay, if a founder if a founder, you know, made it from nothing or made it from little, then ob obviously and rightly so, they sh they do actually deserve a payday. Like if they produce something great, like you should get paid for your great work. But these guys are actually in a luxurious position where they can say, well, we actually don't yes. need anything because we've already done great. So we're really going to spoil you guys because we're just going to keep throwing various cool stuff at you because we don't actually need any of this. So, like, again, it's not, not a guarantee, yeah. but it's just another factor to make you think, okay, this could be, this could be fun. Could be fun, could be interesting, yeah. And also what you, what you said before, you know, that it might be that there is um, other amount or other kind of money flowing into this project. I think that makes sense, especially if you look at the volume. You know, I, I said it, I'm going to say it again, 200 mil in a couple of days is a lot and it's way more than you what you typically see when there's a new hype project that's launching and you people delist uh delist some of the the nfts that they have to get liquidity to buy into that and it's basically you know the same money moving from a quote-unquote old project to a new project following the hype and this amount is too big for that i feel like i feel like there has to be an you know outside source of money being new collectors being as you uh, made the hypothesis web web two people that followed um, Kevin Rose and are trying to get into the Moonbirds and this is certainly something to to look at and um, something that I actually want to try to dig a bit deeper into to see if we uh, can get a good feeling of you know the the money flows into the Moonbirds. Yeah, that would be cool. I do you have the skill set to do that digging. Um, I have the skill set, I'd say, to start the digging, but for you know the the actual analysis, I would need to get someone to help me. Well, that's I, th I, th I still think the answer to that is yes. I think lots of the things now, like when people who are not in the space ask me a question, it's like, do, are you able to answer the question? It's like my answer is always yes, because I might know the person who I need to ask to help me answer yeah. the question, but. I will be able to answer your question. Give me a few days and I will answer your question. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is actually yeah, one you, of you the... You don't have to answer all your questions yourself. No, exactly. Um, and I think that's one of the strengths of having been here for, well, me for, I don't know, just over a year now, you for even longer, is that the connections run increasingly deep, like increasingly deep like there's various people on the tech side of things on the blockchain side on the nft side on the art side who you can reach out to to help and i think that's when we're trying to build something that's broadly educational and useful to people mm -hmm. i think one of the helpful things is like look we're around we're on twitter we're real people and when we can't answer a particular question in a in a standard piece of content like we'll be able to fill in the gaps in the other periods of time, which is what I do not think is possible. Say you go to, I don't know, Binance Academy or some other YouTube t tutorial or, you know, other things that are less, less accessible. You might have some good yeah, starting point content, but often the stuff is so complicated that it's like, well, if I have a question, then what do I do? Are you really going to reply to me if I leave a comment? And I think the answer to that 
often as no. Um, but I think we might be able to, to, to help people in a more, more nuanced way is my hope. Absolutely. And there are like so many bright people and bright minds in this space. And, you know, it, it's, it's amazing to talk like to so many smart people. And I hope that we can get some of them on our podcast to interview them and to answer some of the questions that we, you know, cannot answer ourselves. Yeah, I've, um, I haven't told you yet who I've got, but, and I won't tell you right now, but I've got some good people coming for the interviews. Um, I, I need to finalize yeah, the dates with a couple of them, but got some good people to start off. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just finalizing the, the admin at the moment, but it's going to be good. I am excited to, to hear more about that backstage then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool, man. So we've, yeah, we've spoken 50 minutes now. Let's wrap it up. Um, it's been a great first episode. Absolutely. I guess, yeah, the thing about these things is going to be very much like a conversation amongst friends, which is something that I missed or that I really craved actually in this space. Like we, we spend so long behind the scenes, looking into our screen in silence, typing away in chat rooms on Twitter, on Discord. And something that I had been looking out for for so long was an opportunity to have real dialogue face to face with someone who was like-minded, similar thought process, who I got along with. And so that's what I'm super happy to have now. And that's what this is going to be. And I hope the listeners will enjoy. I hope as well, man. I'm equally excited and equally thankful that we, we've met in Lisbon and that we're able to have these kind of conversations and record them for our podcast. Awesome, man. Take care. Great episode. We'll speak soon. Speak soon. Bye. Bye-bye.